Hello and welcome to the seventh instalment of Guido Talks. Thank you for watching all this way. And remember, you can not only watch now, but listen along too on all of your favorite podcast providers. Check out how to find, where to find us at Guido Talks on the Guido Forks website. So I'm Tom Harwood, and yet again, I'm joined with Guido Forks editor and founder Paul Staines, as well as reporter Christian Calgi. And you're watching Guido Talks, the weekly show where we round up everything that's happened in the world of Guido this week. So let's kick off uh, today with the protests that have been going on uh, in London, sparked, of course, by the larger protest movement in America following the death of George Floyd at the hands of the police. Uh, one Labour MP proudly broke social distancing this week to join in with a protest in Parliament Square. Uh, can you tell us what happened next, Christian? Yeah, um, you know, it was uh, one of our, one of certainly one of my favourite uh, chaos reeking Corbyn Easter MPs, uh, Barry Gardner, uh, who attended this Black Lives uh, uh, matter protest in the heart of Westminster um, at a time when uh, obviously MPs were just returning. A lot of the sort of Labour MPs are complaining about health risks and, you know, mingling with each other in such a, a close situation. And Barry Gardner thinks, you know, forget social distancing. I'm going to step outside the palace and I'm going to join in the heaving throng of uh, Londoners who have coming to Westminster to protest uh, Black Lives Matter. And uh, so that was one thing. And then a couple of days later, I was very uh, subtly deleted a website blog post in which he condemns Dominic Cummings for breaking the lockdown. Uh, this blog post included the phrase, I share the widespread anger at the attitude of one rule for us, another for the rest of you. Uh, and uh, it was a it was a deletion that we didn't let him get away with. No, it's, it's remarkable, the sort of brazen attitude of, uh, of just completely removing that from his website in its entirety. And of course, it doesn't seem like he's got away with it on the parliamentary side either. Um, we picked up on this uh, the day after he appeared at that protest. He was due to speak at business questions in the House of Commons. And uh, he didn't appear in business questions at the House of Commons. Uh, he, despite his name being on the roll, he, he was not there. And we got tipped off by someone in the House of Commons who saw him earlier that day go in and talk to uh, the Speaker of the House of Commons or certainly go in towards the offices of the Speaker of the House of Commons and he hasn't been seen since. So it's not that hard to put two and two together and perhaps think that we might not be seeing Mr Gardner back on the parliamentary estate for another 13 days now. Exactly. And we were all worried about Alok Sharma. Uh, being responsible for spreading coronavirus, he luckily turned out not to have the virus. But Barry may have uh, may have messed things up for himself there. Someone else in the news who went to the Black Lives Matter uh, event at Hyde Park with thousands of people was Piers Morgan's son, Stanley. <laughs> Unfortunately, Piers had tweeted the day before that Barry Gardner was reckless. And when we challenged him, uh, 
he couldn't help himself and he responded that he was proud of his son and uh, that his son had socially distanced himself at the event or tried to socially distance himself. Apparently he'd worn gloves and a mask uh, at, the, uh, at, the, at the event and there were thousands of people. If you've seen pictures of it, I don't think it's really possible to socially, be socially distant in a crowded Hyde Park. But it was like a rock concert, the amount of people there, uh, especially with all the celebrities. Then Juliet Hartley Brewer this morning, this is Friday, took her over and said, how can you defend that, you hypocrite? The words that affect on Twitter. And Piers said, it's just like going to a supermarket. They're socially distanced as well. <laughs> Completely different. You go to a supermarket, you, you, there's a whole crowd control. You're two metres apart. Everyone's got to uh, queue up for hours. I mean, he's made an absolute tip. So, not the first time that Piers Morgan has been a hypocrite and made absolute tit of himself, though, is it? That's certainly true. And actually, one of the surprising voices of reason in all of this debate was David Lammy on Question Time on Thursday night, who said, hang on, if we're the politicians who've been standing there, or indeed the media commentators on the side of Piers Morgan, who have, who have been saying that we have to stick by these social distancing rules, we can't then become hypocrites just because there's a cause that we happen to agree with. And I think that David Lammy made probably the most poignant point in that whole Question Time uh, episode, which is not something a lot of us are expecting, um, but good on him for doing it. Yeah, the media are comparatively very quiet in their concern for the public health effect of these protests in comparison to Dominic Cummings' trip to Durham. You know, hundreds of people, thousands maybe in London, protesting, of course everyone has a right to, but I think there is concern. And I think outside of Westminster, there are families up and down the country who have gone for a very long time without seeing loved ones, without seeing friends, and who are looking at these protests, responding primarily to an event that has happened in Westminster in the midst of a public health crisis, and are asking, why isn't the same amount of time and pressure being put on the government and protesters to try and keep London and themselves safe, as was put on Dominic Cummings? And it's well, interesting a you lot of London protesters are trying to put pressure on Dominic Cummings. He's had a, another mob outside his house protesting, for some reason, a Black, Black Lives Matters protest. Uh, I'm not sure what that has to do with Dominic Cummings. They're outside his house chanting, no justice, no peace. And, uh, and I'm sure his uh, wife and four-year-old son are not getting any peace. I don't think it's really... Uh, uh, makes any sense. Is is Islington going to become a permanent protest site against Dominic Cummings? I think um, uh, you know people need to get a grip on that and realise that he's a human with a family and keep their politics to protesting outside Downing Street in Whitehall. And you'd think yeah, Emily Swindley, who's the MP for the area would stop encouraging people coming and harassing not only Dominic Cummings, but his neighbours, probably her own voters. Uh, the idea that there isn't a single amount of uh, condemnation for this uh, continual racket outside uh, in a residential street in Islington, I think is, is utterly bizarre. 
But moving on, or rather moving on to another Cummings story that dragged into this week from last week, uh, there was a doctor who appeared doing the rounds all over the media, uh, almost uh, someone who, who sort of fancied himself more as a political commentator than a medical professional. Um, but it turns out that's what he's become. Because we ran a story earlier this week saying this doctor who appeared on just about every show saying, I'll resign if Dominic Cummings doesn't, which is a bit of odd logic for someone who's taken the Hippocratic Oath. Um, we reported he hadn't resigned uh, on Monday. Uh, and then by Thursday, it transpired that he had resigned. I don't know if our article was anything to do with that. And I do apologise if it was, because this is utterly bizarre that someone would remove themselves from the medical system, would actively take away themselves as a doctor within the NHS at a time when the NHS needs the most doctors it can have. It just smacks of being incredibly selfish and someone who wishes to pursue a media career, which is almost what they had all along anyway. It's utterly, utterly bonkers. I can't get my head around it. And then you had all of these Remainers on Twitter, these FBPE Twitter accounts who fancy themselves as epidemiologists somehow now, who were, who were congratulating him for leaving the NHS, for leaving his patients, for walking away. I mean, what kind of world do we live in where that is applauded? It's utterly, utterly mad. And to be honest, it just speaks to a lot of those uh, media institutions, a lot of those channels, a lot of those programs that gave him the oxygen in the first place. They hold some blame here, or at least they should. And they should start to think, perhaps, before injecting and inflating the egos of these activist doctors who really clearly prioritise political statements above the welfare of their own patients. Do you need to lie down after that? I think I do. I think I'm going to have a pint. Actually, some of our uh, readers sent you an email suggesting that, you know, if he's a junior doctor, he'll regularly have his contract renewed and he could just be taking advantage of a regular periodic review of a contract. And maybe he's going to pop up in another contract somewhere else. Who knows? I don't know. Well, I, th- sure. I think it would be, it would there was be nice to keep, keep our eye on that and not, and not let it scuttle will, away. We will watch out for it. There was another curious incident uh, involving the editor of The Times this week, uh, John Ridderow, a well-known media figure, powerful media figure. He was pictured coming out of Rachel Johnson's house on Sunday morning, dressed in tennis gear for a game of tennis. Uh, Rachel had had her show on LBC on Friday. She'd stayed overnight on Saturday and uh, had a tennis game uh, with John Ritterow. In the Sunday Mirror, it was, she was captioned as the Prime Minister's sister, and it's obviously newsworthy that she's bending the rules, coming style on uh, lockdown. Uh, but nobody mentioned the name of John Ritterow, the editor of the Times. And on Monday, I kind of mentioned this, and we tweeted it out, and thought, well, maybe it was late, and people didn't spot it, because... The Sunday Mirror just said, a man coming out of Rachel Johnson's house. No other newspaper uh, has reported, as far as I know, that John River, the editor of the Times, was photographed coming out of Rachel Johnson's house. And when people say uh, about, talk about journalists speaking truth to power, 
John Woodrow is one of the most powerful men in the media. Not a single paper. Actually, there was one brave uh, uh, journalist, a journalist on his own newspaper, who did a quick question and answer session, an explainer on the new rules. And he had as one of the points is that you can't go off and play tennis. And, and you can't go to somebody else's house. Uh, Camilla, Camilla at Popbitch, um, she did bring up the subject in her email to 350,000 people. And to be fair, a lot of journalists have called me and, uh, and laughed about it, but none of them have written it up in their brave uh, speaking truth to power style that they, they all uh, aspire to. Ah, well. Oh, speaking of truth-seeking media, that was another egregious example of, uh, of uh, just a lack of due diligence, really, this week from Newsnight. And this is something that I think they should be really held accountable for because it's travelled far and wide. I mean, I've heard stories of lots of MPs getting sent in pictures of this graph that they put up on the show that alleged that the UK had more coronavirus deaths than the EU27 put together. And at face value, that that sounds uh, really, really quite terrible until you realise the way that those that data is counted. Uh, there was a fantastic investigation uh, with regard to Spain in the Financial Times that saw uh, before the beginning of the month, they were recording three figures of deaths every day. And then one day it swapped from being three figures to one death immediately. Just a complete drop with no sort of gradual decrease or whatever. Turns out that was the day that they changed their counting method. And if, if the UK was counting in the same way that Spain was counting deaths, we'd be recording deaths in the teens and the low 20s every day, rather than in the hundreds. And this is the kind of apples and oranges comparison that Newsnight tried to get away with. So we, we mocked up our own graph where we counted the English deaths in the way that the Financial Times said that, that they would be counted if we used the Spanish me method. And looking by that method, the UK actually has fewer deaths than, than, uh, than the population percentage of the EU, if that makes sense. We, have, we would only have 20 deaths compared to their 300 and something. I mean, it's utterly ridiculous. There was no due diligence carried out on this comparison and this incredibly viral image that I think they knew would go viral and that's why they did it. Rather than any truth-seeking, rather than any sort of actually trying to get to the heart of things. They just want to get the pictures that will do well on social media. And that's a real shame. I think it buys into two phenomenons within the media that we've picked up on throughout this crisis. The first one is Newsnight specific, which is they have been going down this route of appealing to a core of left-wing fanatics on Twitter they get their views, they get their social media engagement, but it's, it's well devoid of the fact. It abandons the reality of the news and it is pissing off people in high positions at a time when they need to be damn sure that they are being accurate in reporting the news. The second point is something that I think people know in their heart of hearts after watching the media throughout this coronavirus which is that I think they secretly have reveled 
in being able to spin the figures to portray Britain as being one of the worst. They've enjoyed reporting Britain's failing and they've enjoyed it to such an extent that they have ignored all the warnings from officials not to make these sort of international comparisons because the data sets are incomparable based on the way they're collected and they've continually ignored it because it gets clicks and it attacks the government but unfortunately it's just not true. If I'm right in recalling they got the numbers from Worldometer which even Wikipedia doesn't accept as a reliable source and most uh, respectable statisticians would caution against using that website as a data source. It's not um, yeah. an academic respected source of information. It's just bizarre that uh, BBC's flagship show would use that as their, as their source. I mean, they do have their own 3,000 journalists who could perhaps look into numbers themselves. <laughs> there, was, there was an article on CNN, which is not well known for being a radically right-wing uh, organisation, that looked into Worldometer. Um, and actually, uh, there's a quote from someone from um, Our World in Data, the, the Data Institute at Oxford University, that said, this is not a reliable source of data. No one can cr track down where they actually get their numbers. It's crowdsourced, but in an opaque way. No one should be using this source. And yet there was Newsnight sticking the word Worldometer at the bottom of their graph, almost proudly. I mean, absolutely. It's just, yeah, you, you just can't, you just can't justify it. Um, but perhaps we should move on from Newsnight to, um, and coronavirus, uh, and Black Lives Matter protests, and all of those sort of big overarching themes to a specific Westminster scandal that we have been picking up on uh, in the last week and a bit. Uh, Christian, can you tell us which Tory MP has got into some hot water this week? Yeah, of course. Um, we've been uh, doing a few articles on uh, Mr. Rob Roberts MP, uh, who was elected pretty unexpectedly for the uh, in the seat of Delhin in North Wales. He only has a 500 majority and after essentially a month of it being in Westminster before lockdown came in uh, he managed to uh, embroil himself in a number of scandals that we have uh, been bringing to light um, you know comparisons to Jared O'Mara I'm afraid are not uh, you know uh, untrue at this point um, first of all we reported that he is had to have a, a series of meetings with the chief whip over an issue with a male staffer in parliament and then on monday we revealed that his uh, very public relationship with this tory youth group blue beyond had not just been facilitating young tory activism but had actually uh, been a way of facilitating his love life and he had used he had got david cameron to record an endorsement video and we saw whatsapps where he admitted that he'd done this to get dates with the 27 year old uh male founder uh, and then away in an effort to get a date with the 27 in an year effort, old in an effort he is of course obeying lockdown uh and then on uh, wednesday uh further text came to light where uh, in spite of having celebrated mr roberts 
as coming out on gay, uh, coming out as gay on the International Day Against Homophobia. Uh, he actually uh, was texting a 21-year-old female researcher uh, and saying, I might be gay, but, uh, you know, if you're ever free, you want to come over to mine for uh, uh, fun times. And she uh, uh, wasn't very uh, pleased to receive these. Um, we, uh, the only other thing I've got to update at this point uh, is that we found a Facebook comment from Rob replying to a, a, say, a message saying, I can't wait till we see you in cabinet. And he replied, you'll have a long wait. I'll settle for a week of not getting in trouble. That was three weeks ago. And I'm afraid he's going to have to be prepared to stay out of cabinet for quite some time yet. His poor well, wife. Well, that was... Um... That was uh, not the sort of story we would like to round a podcast off on. So if we just have a have a look back to the start of this week and the sort of Benny Hill-like situation that MPs found themselves in, trying to go through what was termed by some Labour MPs as the Jacob Rees-Mogg conga. Now, I, I, I very much enjoyed watching... Um, around 400 MPs line up and try to do three things. Walk to the dispatch box, say their name, and <laughs> say which way they were voting. I, I would say that probably less than half of them actually managed to do it correctly. Uh, it's a remarkable uh, way to view our politicians, you know, walking from one side to the other, walking the wrong way, forgetting to say their name, saying the constituency rather than the way they were voting. Um, it was an absolute shambles, but highly entertaining to watch. We put the whole 40 minute voting period <laughs> up on the Guido Fawkes website. So if you, have a, if you have a spare 40 minutes this weekend, do give it a watch. It's hilarious. Um, but of course... It, I'm reminded of what Richard Nixon said about Gerald Ford. Can't walk and chew gum at the same time. And it still applies to a lot of politicians. I mean, I particularly enjoyed watching all these MPs, uh, for no reason, touching the dispatch box as they were voting completely undermining all social distancing. If one of them has corona, that's spreading right down the conga line. <laughs> but, but it does carry a, a, an important point. And I think that um, despite all of, the, all of the teething problems it had um, and the improvements that could be made to the system, I think they're now talking about perhaps using the actual voting lobbies rather than the chamber, which uh, would be less entertaining for us because we wouldn't be able to watch it, but would perhaps <laughs> run more smoothly. Um, if they can... If you, you two that, old think... fogies and Jacob Rees-Mogg are the reason this nonsense is happening. I enjoyed as much as anyone watching them queue up like like uh, IQ or flatback cues um, to vote. But it is a complete waste of time. Look, if, if, if I can have an app that my bank can accept and let me transfer thousands of pounds securely, surely it is not beyond the wit. Of, well, it's a government IT, IT project, I know, <laughs> the, uh, the most successful. I'm sure a private sector company could provide an app where MPs can vote Securely, and if if they would be given permission to vote from home, that's fine. You could even geolocate it so that you lot will be happy that they've actually come to Parliament to vote. So the technology to solve this problem is way overdue. You know, that, it's, it's, that makes why not so many vote like that? 
that makes so many more problems for them for than than it, than it solves. I mean, we saw what happened when there was uh, remote voting, whereby uh, the chancellor and his PPS both ended up rebelling accidentally against the government on the on the trade on the agriculture bill. We saw that MPs uh, who who viciously oppose the new migration control legislation not being able to get on to vote to oppose it. We saw both sides really affected and damaged by this electronic voting system. Voting was chaotic all over the place. It just, it wasn't uh, so visibly chaotic. And I think there's a second point here, which is very, very important. 40 minutes to, to make legislation, that act of actually doing it is not a big price to pay. The act of making legislation is a heavy, weighty thing and it should be considered and it should never be the tap of the screen or the touch of a button. That's how they do it in the European Union where new regulations and laws come by by the dozen and they sort of sit there almost automaton-like just pressing buttons all day long. That's not how legislation should be made. That, that way lies tyranny almost that way lies. I think the oh. idea that they're not automatons just marching like cannon fodder into the into the voting lobbies how is that different from putting their fingerprint on the fingerprint detector on the back of their phone to vote it's 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 just a waste of everyone's time that and is clearly some of them who have a family life remember that I mean, they are in the days when we had cool, it's amateur politicians. You to stand up for the rights of MPs. That's a, that's an about turn. This is. It's just. I mean, if I had my way, we would move them all over to the old Olympic Village where they had that set piece media centre. Hundreds and hundreds of offices for the media with uh, uh, broadband and high tech facilities. Also, it would be a lot cheaper to put them out there in East London. It would help the redevelopment. You know, we can yeah. and we can turn the old parliament Look, building into Pol a tourist attraction. You're sounding like Chukka Uluna now. This is ridiculous. Politicians are not politicians are not good people, but they don't deserve to be placed in a working environment in East London. And neither do we deserve to have to report from East London. The fact is that we, there is a wider problem here that our MPs clearly both struggle to use an app and to walk in a straight line. That is a separate issue for another day, probably a long-term issue we will address. My concern, my concern is that I think the voting that we have at the moment where they go through the lobbies is important, but we must reform to conserve and the fast that is being created, I think drives the Commons closer to a more modern version of just using an app. Uh, than we've ever seen before and we need to reduce the level of farce and we also need to make sure that people like I think Jamie Stone who cannot come to London because he's looking after his wife you know he's getting £80,000 he should at least be accommodated to do the part of voting and I think for the rest of coronavirus we need to have this two-tone system because otherwise we're going to lose everything that Tom and I hold so precious uh, <laughs> You never make a phone call for Christ's sake. The pair of you just are always <laughs> texting and WhatsApping everyone. And now you say, oh, it's very important to have personal contacts and one-to-ones and, and proximity. I tried. You won't even phone people. 
I tried calling an MP the other day for a story and he couldn't answer because he'd spent 50 minutes in a fucking voting queue. That <laughs> makes my life difficult. Has he got a mobile phone? He could just pick it out of his pocket. He was, hello. I don't uh, think, I'm not going to go into which story it was, but I don't, I think he probably actually I think if it was Bob Roberts, I think he was on, not answering your phone for various other reasons. You know. <laughs> fear, fear of what's coming next. Right, I don't think we've reached a consensus there anywhere at all, but I think that's probably where we should end things today. Although just to say, Jamie's, people like Jamie Stone do have a solution because the government did bend, as we reported they would, um, they did bend later this week in terms of saying that they will allow proxy voting, not just for people on maternity leave, but for people who are shielding uh, or, or away on medical reasons as well. So there is a bit of an accommodation there, uh, and it's different from the start. But, um, but that's just about the, all that we have time to discuss this week. Thank you so much for sticking with us the whole way through. Uh, so thank you for watching and or listening. Uh, stay alert and we'll see you next time.